Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 122. Before we get into today's question, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat. So if you lose a large amount of sodium in your sweat, for example, then you can get a very concentrated high sodium uh, supplement that is very beneficial, especially as temperatures get hotter and races, events, or even training gets longer. Because if you lose too much of that sodium, then that can result in decreases in performance and a whole host of other things, including potentially cramping and nausea. On the other hand, if you are somebody that loses less sodium in your sweat, then you can go with the medium or low sodium supplements. And you can figure out where you are on the spectrum by taking Precision Hydration's free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com. You can also get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka, that are the industry-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. Roka got started in a garage in Austin, Texas, with the mission of developing the world's fastest wetsuit. And to this day, the Roka wetsuits are probably my all-time favorite Roka products. And their flagship model currently is the Roka Maverick X2, which is my racing wetsuit. But they have a whole host of other wetsuits. For example, I do most of my training in the Maverick MX, the Max Buoyancy wetsuit, just because I want to protect the Maverick X2 from unnecessary wear and tear. And I usually only train in it once before every race but roca have everything from entry-level wetsuits to that very high end so anything and whatever your budget is in terms of wetsuits you can find something that suits you and uh, a lot of athletes say that even roca's entry-level wetsuits feel like at least mid-end if not high-end wetsuits from other companies they have things like the patented arms of technology and so on in them so really really great quality throughout their wetsuit lineup you can get 20% off your Roka order with a promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now let's go to today's question, which is from John in Ohio, US, who writes, Hello, Michael. Really enjoy the podcast and appreciate the effort you put into the great content. As a master's triathlete that has been in the sport for about four years, I am excited to put 2020 behind me and race in 2021. There are so many metrics to gather and track that it can get paralyzing. What would you say are the key metrics to track as you progress through the season? I heard you talk about mastering the power duration curve. Is that the best place to start? Also, I was wondering what your, th- your thoughts are on whether upgrading to WKO5 is worth it rather than using the premium version of Training Peaks for a self-coached athlete. Thanks and keep up the great work. Hi, John. Thank you so much for your question. It is a really great one. As uh, is common, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Uh, So uh, I will answer this from a couple different angles. By and large, it will depend, the, the metrics that you track will depend on your familiarity and understanding of different metrics and also on what your ambition and commitment level is. For somebody who wants to really optimize their training to every last percentage point, it makes sense to track a few more things than somebody who maybe doesn't care so much about shaving uh, one or two minutes or one or two seconds of their time in a race. But one thing that is unequivocally true, I would say, is that it should be simple. Even for the very advanced athlete with a deep understanding, 
tracking five to ten key metrics can be simple and not at all paralyzing and uh, so it's it's fine to go to that number of metrics go to 10 metrics for example but somebody with less experience uh, in tracking metrics and in training in general and understanding of training principles might find that two to four key metrics is more than enough and any more than that and it becomes too much it becomes paralyzing and no longer simple so keep it simple is really the first rule to abide by in other words an important take-home message early on is that it's better to focus on fewer metrics but that makes sense to you and that you can make sense of when analyzing and planning your training rather than to track too many and risk missing the forest for the trees Uh, which is an easy trap to fall into i've definitely done that myself on multiple occasions i probably will do that again in the future that's just the nature of coaching you do mistakes and hopefully you learn from them and uh, you try to do a little bit better next time uh, I recorded a Q&A actually almost two years ago, which was Q&A number 30, where I discussed metrics and data analysis for self-coached athlete, athletes. So uh, that is also a good listen to see what I recommended uh, at that point. And it will be fairly similar to what I'll say today. But as I said, that was two years ago. So it's a good time to do an update on which specific metrics I would recommend tracking. In that episode, I talked about two types of metrics, and those were process metrics and performance metrics. Today, I've actually changed my thinking on this a little bit and added a third category, which I would call something like recovery slash readiness to train. We could also change it up a little bit and talk maybe about input and output metrics, where both performance and that recovery slash readiness to train would go under output uh, if you prefer that but let's just for for this for the purposes of this Q&A we'll talk about those three different categories which would be process metrics performance metrics and recovery slash readiness to train metrics so what I'll do now is I will describe the metrics I think are the primary ones that you could choose from Uh, that doesn't mean that you should choose every one of them you should choose from these metrics I will list two to four metrics for each of those three categories that I mentioned. And uh, I think these are the most important ones. Uh, So if you choose a grouping of metrics from this master list, then you will get far. And I'll also give, give some suggestions around the relative importance of these. So depending on what level of athlete you are, if you're more of a beginner or a very advanced athlete, then I will tell you which metrics I would recommend you at where you track or don't track depending on your level and basically it's pretty simple the beginner should track the least metrics and the advanced the most so you don't necessarily subtract any metrics from the advanced athlete you just keep adding a few as you move up the level from beginner to intermediate to advanced so let's start with the process metrics and the first one is training volume there are many different ways to measure this you could talk about duration you could talk about distance you could talk about kilojoules you can measure total training volume and you can measure it by discipline. I think duration is good to start with. It's simple and you should measure your total training volume and your training volume per discipline. But training volume here is the key metric. You need a way to, to measure that. If you want to get more advanced, perhaps then the kilojoules could be a good one rather than duration as it also takes uh, intensity into account better but uh, but i think duration is fine and the next related to training volume a bit is compliance basically what percentage of your planned training did you actually do as planned and that's something that 
can be a bit tricky to track maybe you don't need to quantify it uh, i like to quantify it from athletes in wko actually i don't think as a self-coach athletes you necessarily need to do that i think that you can just on a monthly basis look back at the month that was and see uh, overview your training did you do all your planned training how many sessions did you miss why did you miss them so it can be a qualitative metric for uh, for self-coach athletes to make it more simple uh, for coaches i do think that it can be it should be qualitative of course but but you can also have a quantitative aspect aspect to it i like to say that if, if an athlete is not really doing ni- being 90 percent compliant then uh, then something needs to change so, something something is up and, uh, and we need to need, need to fix it because it's it's a problem if it's if we don't have 90 percent compliance so so in that sense i do have a, a quantified version of it which is simply looking at the volume planned versus volume uh, completed so it's not it's not too difficult to to track that either but you might not be able to do that straight away in most standard training software you might need something like wko to do it practically without doing a lot of manual work which you probably shouldn't do a lot of manual work with any metric because then it becomes too difficult and uh, not worth it Next, the third process metric would be to track your training intensity distribution. And that means, for those that are not aware, how much time did you spend in each training zone? So I prefer using a five or six zone uh, model. So usually we quite often we talk about the five zone model in terms of heart rate. If we are talking about pace zones or power zones, uh, I like to add a sixth training zone as well, which is anything that is uh, kind of more on the very anaerobic side or neuromuscular side so something a power number for example that you can only hold for for two minutes or or less that's where you go from zone five into zone six roughly speaking Uh, either way a training test distribution looks at how much time uh, in total and as a percentage of your total time did you spend in each of the training zones how much time was spent in zone one in zone two in zone three in zone four in zone five and in zone six if you use that or whatever system you're using if you're using a three zone model zone one zone two zone three looking at at each of those just getting an idea of where you're spending your time this can be done based on heart rate or pace or power, depending on which sport we're talking about and uh, what what you're using to, to measure it. So personally, I prefer looking at, I mean, I look at all of them, but the primary ones, I would actually use power on the bike and pace on the run as my, my main ones. Also looking at heart rate, uh, even running power if an athlete uses that, but, uh, but I would prefer to, to use power and pace. Those would be the, the primary ones to look at. On the swim, if an athlete is using heart rate, which I actually think is a great thing to do on the swim just for retrospective analysis, not to train by, but uh, th- then, of course, looking at the swim heart rate. But we don't have good data to to do this sort of thing with swimming pace, so, so that's uh, unnecessary. The fourth process metric is the RPE. So if you rate the rating of perceived exertion after each exercise, so or after each workout, I should say, so let's say today your workout was a 4 out of 10 and tomorrow your workout is a, an 8 out of 10 and over the course of a month you you have rated each workout after the fact and you get a certain distribution, you get an average. I like to look at that. I like to look at the average. Again, we need to look at it over a specific time span. So usually a month is a good time span with a lot of or enough data points. And also the distribution. Do you have 
are you always somewhere in the middle or do you have a lot of kind of relatively relatively low intensity low rpe training but also some really hard training that's generally what we're looking for next going to the performance metrics group the first and most important one is obviously race results this is very simple we don't need to go into detail on that but obviously tracking your results is the most real way and real world way of seeing whether you're improving or not because any improvement you're doing you you generally want to see that improvement translate to the race course and yes there are different courses different weathers and so on so so it's not the only thing we should be looking at by any means but race results are still really important to track track each discipline how you're improving and the total times and and performances in terms of average power uh, average pace and so on so various metrics related to race results tracking that is very important Next, we have performances in key workouts. So these are regular workouts, not tests, time trials, and the like. But things like, let's say you regularly do six times three minutes at kind of your quote-unquote VO2 max uh, power or effort, wh- whatever you do. And that's something that you know that you repeat, or maybe you repeat it with some variation. Maybe sometimes you do five by four, sometimes 10 by two. Whatever it is, those are all comparable workouts that you can compare your performance to past performances with. So that's something that is uh, not something that you can easily directly quantify, especially if the workouts are different, like slightly different variations on the theme, so to say. If they are identical, of course, you can you can compare and uh, and see how you develop, uh, how your performance develops. But even if power is the same, you can see look at things like RPE, how hard did it feel this time, what was your heart rate, and so on. So comparing key workout performances in various ways is something that I think is uh, is a really good way of tracking performance it's not a metric but not all of these are metrics as you as you noted some some of them are just things to be tracked even though it's not a quote-unquote metric next on the list uh, pretty obvious tests and time trials so when you do things like critical power tests uh, a 20 minute tt whatever it is uh, you if you do that log that in your in your notebook or in your spreadsheet in your training log of course and and track your performance in these tests and time trials there are various reasons for doing different kinds of tests and dts we won't go into the pros and cons of each here but whatever it is make sure that you track it and then once you do a new one look back at how you how you performed before and uh, and let that inform whether your training has been successful or not that's that's a pretty good way of doing things and uh, very straightforward and the final and fourth performance metric that i have here is the power duration curve uh, or the mean maximum power curve so uh, i will go into a bit more detail on what that is later but uh, just really really quickly it is for each duration on the x-axis so for example for 10 seconds for five minutes for 20 minutes for one hour how much power have you produced as a maximum within a certain time range you could say three months for example in the last 90 days the last three months what is my maximum 60 minutes power 90 minutes power 10 minute power 30 second power and so on on the bike or it could be about pace on the run so so that's your power duration curve and and that is the fourth one on this list of performance metrics Uh, and i will go into that in a bit more detail later on and then the third group of 
things to track is the recovery slash readiness to train metrics. And the first one here is uh, heart rate variability, HRV, and or resting heart rate. I find that these two actually both work really well when you have, for example, a sickness come on, you can see HRV go down and resting heart rate go up. And uh, it's quite typical for them to be negatively correlated in that way, whatever the reason for a change in HRV or resting heart rate being. If you had a bad night's sleep, HRV will be low, resting heart rate will be high, things like that. So you could choose either one of them or you could use both. I am partial to the HRV for training app. It's a one-time fee of, I think, nine euros and then you have it for life. It's a great app and it tracks with a one-minute morning measurement both your morning HRV and your morning resting heart rate. So, so it's very easy with that app to get both of them in one go and with an accurate measurement. So, so that's my rec- personal recommendation. That's a great metric to assess recovery and readiness to train. The second one is called feeling, perhaps. At least it is in WKO. Feeling refers to the smiley faces you have in training peaks to rate how you felt on the day of the workout or during the workout. So if you are a training peaks user, which you are, but for the general listener, training peaks asks you to rate not only your rating of perceived exertion on a scale from one to 10, how hard was this workout, but also, how did you feel today? Did you feel very, very strong? Then you have a smiley face with a wide smiley, smiling face. And if you felt very, very weak, then you have a, a really, really weak-looking emoji there. And then you have everything in between. You have five different smileys to choose from, essentially. So so tracking that is actually quite good. And uh, it's something, when you look back at the month, if you see that during the last week of the month, you started feeling worse and worse, and most of your work- workouts were less lower than neutral then that's definitely something that should be a yellow flag so so that's the second thing to track and like rpe that i described above you can quantitatively track it in wko and import everything in directly in training peaks unfortunately you can't track it as of now at least you have to look individually at the workouts but you can at least get a feel when you you can monitor them even if you don't you can't do arithmetics with them like calculating the average feeling the way that you can in wko for example Uh, that's perhaps uh, an unnecessary side note uh, but but feeling is another good metric to have or to consider and finally sleep Uh, sleep duration and sleep quality is actually something that i don't really track uh, not neither for myself or for actually I can sorry I sh- I do uh, track that for myself just I know it in the HRE for training app when I do the morning me- measurement so I take that back I don't have a specific device to uh, to measure anything it's just my self rated duration and uh, and quality of sleep but it's not something that I use with many athletes uh, because most people don't track it but it's something that I think if you are tracking it can definitely be useful. So so I would consider that something that is potentially the one that, that I should start tracking more uh, and using more in my coaching that I'm currently not using. Uh, definitely the, the next candidate to be, uh, to, to be entering that key performance uh, metrics chart that I have. So yeah, that's sleep duration and quality and that's the third metric. So 
so those were i mean i know i cheated on some of them because hrv and resting heart rate that i lumped in under one item and so on but 10 high level items is on that list four that were uh, on the process side or input side and four that were on the performance output side and uh, two or three if you can also count sleep that were on the recovery slash readiness to train side I should emphasize here that that is not a short list of metrics at all. And given how you, John, phrased your question, I would not at all recommend that you track all of those metrics. Tracking all of those metrics is something that coaches listening might want to do. And maybe some of the most advanced athletes and power users of training software, really, really technically savvy and knowing the ins and outs of training and coaching lingo and uh, and methods Personally, there really isn't a whole lot more than these 10 metrics that I ever track because there's just no need. These are kind of all-encompassing and anything else is really beyond even marginal gains in for me, in my opinion. And uh, of course, within these categories, there can be quite some variation. For example, as we talked about in the tests category, a test could be something like a straight time trial, let's say a 30-minute time trial, or it could be a metabolic test, or it could be some sort of sub-maximal test, like a power-to-heart rate test, things like that. There are just a tons of different tests that you could use. And depending on which ones you choose to use, you might be tracking your performance in a couple of different tests in each discipline, potentially. So even though tests is here named as one thing to track, you might actually be tracking six different types of tests, two for swimming, two for biking, two for running over time, just as an example. So anyway, all that to say that if you track all of these high-level items, that is a lot of work. And I know that because I do track all of them, uh, but but I really don't track anything else at a serious level because that would just go beyond being, uh, being doable. By that, I mean... Yeah, I might glance at some other charts and tables, but I rarely, if ever, really focus on anything outside of that main list of metrics that I just listed and have anything else inform training decisions. Of course, athlete comments and such are really, really important, the most important thing, but but that's not, I didn't put them here under metrics per se. So this high-level list is more than enough choose among these. And what I will do now is recommend a basic set of things to track based on the level of athlete you are. And here I'm assuming for self-coached athletes. So self-coached age group athletes. And let's start with a typical beginner. I would say you can do really well, well with only three metrics. And the first one would be to track your volume. Uh, perhaps as duration would be my my recommendation. The second would be in terms of performance to track race results and tests or time trials. Actually, so sorry, that's already three of them. But then, yeah, the fourth one would be optional. And that would be if you want to track a recovery slash train metric. I don't think it's absolutely necessary if you just feel good and you are in tune with your body. But you could benefit from tracking HRV and or resting heart rate just as a bonus so let's call it three metrics plus a potential bonus for beginner athletes that's all you need for an intermediate athlete uh, i have a basic list of six metrics that might be appropriate to track that would be volume and then compliance on the process side of things sorry volume compliance and 
training intensive distribution on the process slash input side of things. And then on the performance side of things, you would track race results and tests as well as key workout performances. And then on the recovery slash redness side, I do recommend once you get to that intermediate level and maybe start training a bit more to track HRV or resting heart rate. And finally, for the really advanced athletes, power users uh, and coaches, you might also add doing tracking RPE and feeling and also the power duration curve. I think any athlete should always rate their RPE and feeling after each workout. But uh, what I'm saying here is that advanced athletes might actually want to to track it in a way, for example, look at the average RPE per on a per month basis and see how they're trending and things like that. And I don't think that you need to do that necessarily as a beginner athlete or intermediate athlete. There, what you need to do is just consider at the moment of rating your workout, well, did that match the purpose of the workout? If you had a moderate ride planned and you rated your ride a 10 out of 10, then something went wrong there. You shouldn't have gone quite that hard. And uh, well, just let me talk a little bit about the reasoning behind this selection of metrics for the different groups. It's simply a trade-off between benefit and cost. Uh, Cost not in terms of money as much as in investment of time and energy and also in the risk of losing sight of the forest for the trees basically you could be in a situation when too many metrics is like juggling too many balls in the air at once and uh, and you drop them all so so that's uh, that's what you want to avoid for a beginner athlete for example it would be it would actually be great to track training intensity distribution it is important for beginners that is why one of the things that a coach can contribute with to a beginner athlete but is it absolutely necessary for the beginner athlete to improve? No, I don't think so. Once you have a really good handle on your training volume and how that impacts your performance and your recovery slash readiness to train, then you might want to take the next step and start worrying about training tested distribution. But at that point, you're already an intermediate athlete. And the reality is, unless you do something absolutely ridiculous, a suboptimal training intensity distribution won't stop you from improving at a beginner stage of your endurance sports journey. But a mistake in volume, one way or another, just might, especially when we're talking about increasing volume too fast. As another example, intermediate athletes could absolutely benefit from using the power duration curve, even though I only place that for the advanced athletes or coaches category. It would be beneficial to understand the the performance that they get out from the training input that they put in but the issue here isn't so much that intermediate athletes wouldn't be able to use it or benefit from it it's just that uh, this level of athletes intermediate athletes tend to be ambitious but normally time restricted and there is a tendency for for these athletes to maybe start spending too much time looking at and dissecting things like the power duration curve and actually giving it more credit than it deserves and uh, spending that precious time would actually training would actually be a better choice of uh, use of time so the power duration curve while great can act as a distraction and even as a gateway drug to other things to track that are not at all very relevant in in my opinion just due to the fact that to really track the power duration curve you're going to be looking at getting software like wko or golden cheetah But of course, this is only my personal recommendation for these different groups. 
and it's also important to point out there will be all sorts of different in-betweens special cases you might be advanced in one department and beginner in another so of course you could mix and match but i wanted to give you just a a bit of a suggestion for how i view which metrics might be important for what type of athlete now let's talk a bit more specifically about the power duration curve first and then whether it's worth upgrading to wko first again i will repeat just quickly what the power duration curve is Imagine that on the x-axis you have a time scale. So uh, on the far left you have a very short times, one second, five seconds, ten seconds. And then as you go right, you get really long durations. Well, you get from the medium durations, five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, and then you get one hour, two hours, three hours, and so on. It's a continuous scale, usually logarithmic, but uh, let's not get too technical with that anyway. And uh, basically you can plot what is the maximum power you have produced within a certain time period, usually let's say the last 90 days, for each of those durations. So of course, if the longest you've ridden is three hours, then your power duration curve will end at three hours. But uh, it will take the highest power you have produced for five seconds and plot that on the five second mark uh, on the y-axis and it will take the highest power you have produced over 10 minutes and plot that on the 10 minute mark. Uh, as a power on the y-axis so you will get a curve uh, that uh, that has a particular shape and of course is highest on the left end where the duration is very short from one second and is the lowest on the right end where the duration is very long uh, we're talking hours there if you have done maximum efforts or a few different durations for example let's say 30 seconds two minutes and 15 minutes then software like WKO can actually model a continuous curve so you can get an estimate for what your maximum power or any duration might be, not just the durations that you've actually done a maximum effort over. Note that this is just that, it's just an estimate, and it's fully dependent on how well you are quote-unquote feeding the model with good data, and it does need enough maximum efforts over different durations to be valid. That's very important to, to emphasize. Now, all of that is great, uh, but I do put the power duration curve firmly in the coaches or very advanced athletes category in terms of training tools uh, or tracking tools, because in my opinion, it is still a marginal gain when it comes to planning effective training. You can get most of the benefits of using the power duration curve by maybe simply selecting some tests that you repeat every once in a while, like a standard three-point critical power test, which could be like a three-minute all-out test, a six-minute all-out test and a 12-minute all-out test, uh, plus maybe a sprint, like a 20-second sprint. And and that is uh, also what athletes using, for example, the inside remote testing protocol are used to doing. So four data points like that of different durations and where they sit relative to each other will tell you the same thing that the, the power duration curve can, which is, are you, relatively speaking, stronger at the shorter or the longer durations, or do you fall somewhere in between? So selecting a good and appropriate test will almost replace the need for using the power duration curve much. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other nice features of the power duration curve, but practically speaking, I find that uh, that even I don't use them that much because I don't really like to have my athletes go all out all that often. <laughs> I don't like to have to feed the model all the time uh, So and over many different durations. So so yeah, it's rare that a power duration curve for my athletes is 
absolutely like up to date and absolutely reliable so obviously that means that i can't really rely on it as much so that's just my personal preference of course there are coaches that do feed the model well and that works with their philosophy and system it's just not the the way that i prefer to coach what i do like uh, the most about the power duration curve in wko is that i can compare the power duration curve for one particular athlete between different time periods of course i do need to have some good data in there for this to be a relevant comparison but for example i could take the the last three months here as we are in january so november december and january november 2020 to january 21 and i could compare that to the same three month period uh, one year earlier and look at the two different power duration curves and the mean maximum power curves which is the actual data and not the model and and see first of all whether the actual amplitude of the curve has changed is the athlete stronger across the board producing power more power over any duration or has the shape of the curve changed are they better at the tail end of the uh, of the power duration curve where we have the long durations that we really want to improve as triathletes so so in terms of analyzing athlete development it can be really useful to see if you have actually managed to sort of shift the athlete phenotype this way that being said in training peaks premium with a premium version of it you can also view your power duration curve sort of even though it's not a continuous curve you can go to your dashboard and open a chart called peak power and that is a power duration curve or a mean maximum power curve where you can't see every single second of duration because it's not a model uh, and also it's not a full mean max power curve but it's actually just peak power numbers for specific durations like 5 seconds 10 seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds and many other data points but not all of them and actually there is more than enough data points there to get a really really good view of your power profile even though you don't have the power duration curve the power duration model and you don't have the full continuous curve there but actually that's a great chart that you can use and you can use it with your Training Peaks Premium account. Also, I should mention that uh, the free Golden Cheetah software that you can download on the internet also has a power duration curve model. So there is a free option to get one. You don't have to uh, pay for WKO. But let's tackle that question now. Is it worth, worth it to get WKO5 and uh, use it in your question instead of Training Peaks Premium? Well, so for listeners that are not aware let's of course cover the costs first training peaks premium is 10 us dollars per month when you purchase a yearly subscription so 120 us dollars per year wko5 is 169 us dollars as a one-time fee so after 17 months of having training peaks premium you're actually ahead with wko now the problem with not using training peaks premium uh, but using the free version is that while it's doable you can't plan in training in on future days in your training peaks calendar on the free version which is a pretty big feature to miss with and that's obviously why they have it on the paid version to get people to to upgrade to the paid version you can understand that uh, but while you could have your training planning in a separate spreadsheet and then just do the tracking in or just see that look at the workouts in retrospect in training peaks uh, that's that's something that you could do but uh, but i think that unless you absolutely absolutely have to use wko 
and uh, you can't have both that and training peaks premium for whatever reason generally speaking nine out of ten uh, or 99 out of 10 uh, athletes should choose training peaks premium rather than wko because training peaks premium actually gives you a lot of nice tracking and analysis ca- capabilities in itself uh, it, it really is quite good uh, if we were to go through my high level list of uh, metrics to track again or things to track again the only thing you really can't track in the training peaks dashboard is the power duration curve in completeness uh, although you have the peak powers as i mentioned and unfortunately at this point in time you don't have the option to track rpe and feeling on the dashboard you can only look at them on the calendar in your workouts uh, so and you but you can track them through wko and i have to think that training peaks will change that in their main product if enough people send their complaints about that <laughs> so hint hint for that but irrespective of budgeting let's say it was all free if we again come back to how you frame the question there are so many metrics to gather and track that it can get paralyzing what would you say are the key metrics to track as you progress through the season well wko is not going to help you Uh, get over the problem of there are too many metrics to track so it can get paralyzing you need to help yourself with that by deliberately selecting a select few metrics and a select few metrics to track and actually getting a hundred new charts in wko is not going to help you with that now don't get me wrong i do like wko and to me it actually helps me keep track of the important metrics but that is because I have actually done some custom coding in WKO, set up custom charts and tables, uh, a customized dashboard as well that shows me only the metrics and things that I want to track and am interested in. So I can filter out all the rest very easily. And that is a powerful feature of WKO that with some very basic programming sp- skills, you can make it into almost anything you want. It's an analytics engine, as uh, lead developer Tim Cusick uh, puts it. But do I recommend that people have to learn how to code just so they can get the most out of WKO? Absolutely not. Uh, of course, you don't have to learn how to code to use WKO because it has so many pre-built charts and tables to choose from that almost anything you want is already there. But again, you might run into problems of choosing what is actually important. What do you really actually need to look at? So my advice to you and anybody that isn't a coach or a very, very advanced and tech-savvy athlete is there is more than enough data available on platforms like TrainingPeaks or other training software that adding an admittedly much more powerful platform but also much more confusing one to the mix really risks making you take your eye off the ball and what's really important. So a couple of final words on that this is by no means a criticism of wko it is a great platform but it's built for a very specific demographic and it can derail progress of somebody who doesn't have a very very good handle on their training by the mere nature nature of making things more confusing and complex for athletes that might not have the prerequisite training and coaching knowledge and experience to benefit the most from it so i think that's the sticking point that uh, that I would say that there's a high bar in terms of coaching and training knowledge that you should have before starting to use WKO. The technical bar, not so high actually. Uh, don't be put off by what I said about that. But but it's it's about being honest with yourself in terms of your training and coaching knowledge uh, and whether you will actually use WKO 
for good or whether it will confuse the heck out of you. So in summary, to answer your question, it is absolutely understandable that by the looks of it, there are just too many metrics and it becomes paralyzing. The key to solve this problem is to select the few metrics that are actually relevant and start caring about them and only them. Some athletes might have as many as 10 metrics that they can track and others will have only three to four and that's fine. Know yourself and find your right number. It's a good uh, place here to remind yourself of Occam's Razor, uh, which states that in its simplest form, at least, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. If we're looking to use metrics to assess why our training did or did not work, in other words, then we really should adhere to this principle. And that's not to say that we can oversimplify things either, but by far the more common mistake I see in self-coached athletes is making things overly complex and overanalyzing things, not the other way around. So don't be afraid to keep things simple enough. Uh, in a wicked learning environment, to make a social psychology reference, I believe that this is way more likely to lead to success and performance improvements. So I hope that this helps, John, and good luck. That's it for today's Q&A. I will link in the episode description to a couple of related episodes, Q&A number 30, which was also around uh, training reviews and metrics for self-coached athletes, and to beginner tip number 29, metrics you should be tracking, and that one specifically directed to beginners. Keep sending in questions. My email is michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and it's michael with a K. If you're interested in coaching or training plans, do check out scientifictriathlon.com and everything we have to offer. We hope that we can help you in your training and racing in the upcoming year. Thank you finally to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their industry-leading wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart, and keep loving triathlon.